Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature N, Blood and Bone, Seaweed, Biostimulants, Manure and Feather Meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello, welcome to the Garden Gurus Live. This morning we are in a bit of a different venue here at Gurus HQ. We are downstairs and this is um, the living wall we have behind us, um, packed full of beautiful indoor plants and they kind of act as a natural air conditioner and uh, air cleanser. So um, it's a beautiful little living wall and of course it is indoor plants and we'll have an opportunity through today to talk a little bit about that. Of course, I'm Trevor Cochran and uh, every week uh, myself or Joe or one of the team uh, spends this morning answering your gardening questions. This is what it's all about, is helping you out and maybe introducing you to some things that are either seasonal or problems that are occurring out in the marketplace that we can help you out with with some advice or introduce you. Of course, we generally have a very good uh, incentive for you as well, an offer for you to pick up some uh, some sort of uh, great garden goodies. And there's a ripper coming up from Garden Express a bit later on today. So we'll talk through those. Did you get some indoor plants this Christmas? Well, I'll give you a, a great tip on how to keep them looking good and uh, and working your way through obviously what can be quite a challenging time of the year. Um, if you're looking for ways to protect your garden from extreme weather, that's going to be the big opportunity at the moment because we are getting some extreme weather all over the country from incredibly wet and hail in places like Toowoomba uh, to over here in the west, 40 plus degree days every single day for four or five days on end and the impact on your lawn and your garden can be enormous. I've got some tips to help improve that and I'll be sharing with you my plant of the week. I'm still harvesting constantly out of the garden and I've got a couple of of very interesting plants that I'll share with you. Of course this is all about answering your gardening questions. So Let's get into it. Um, do remember that we have prizes, of course. We always have packet seeds to give away for you from our friends at Father Gills. And all you have to do is post your questions in the comments section for your chance to win. And make sure if you, when you do it, that you let us know your city, town or, and, and or state. Um, state's really important because we are getting such tremendously different weather right across the country. Um, it's, it's quite amazing what's going on out there. And if you like what we're doing, then always hit like as well. Hopefully that's something that um, you can share with your friends. All right, let's get into it. I've got, Alison is in New South Wales now. Alison very kindly sent me a photograph. She's got two shrubs, you can see them there. They're in large pots, they're losing their leaves. Please help. Now, Alison, the, the one that I'm looking at in particular is a Tibishina. So beautiful plants. Interesting thing about Tibishinas is they prefer it a little bit on the on the drier side to the wet side. And if it gets too wet, they actually have a habit of dropping their foliage. And I reckon that's exactly what's going on here. I think you need to back off the water. It's a bit unusual in pots because potting mixes are designed to drain very freely. But something tells me that um, you're probably watering a fair bit at the moment. So back the water off just a little bit basically three times a week in temperatures under 30 degrees is probably all you'll need to do um, at this time of the year. Uh, you are in New South Wales and it's a little bit difficult because there has been a lot of rain, um, but that's not an unusual thing for Tipashinas to drop their foliage. Carmen, uh, Carmel is in Victoria. And again, we've got another great um, photograph sent through, Carmel sent through this photograph of her passion fruit. Can't find the answer. 
uh, anywhere my passion fruit goes wrinkly but stays green and unripe. Now, bad news, Carmel, that is a classic sign of a mosaic virus and uh, there's not a lot you can do about it. Sometimes uh, a younger passion fruit vine might grow out of that, but an older passion fruit vine, it will cause it to effectively um, slowly die and, uh, and not perform. So it's probably not the news you wanted to hear, but I don't think you're going to fix that problem with the wrinkly fruit. It is a classic viral problem. Deborah is in Perth. Again, another photo. Thank you so much, Deborah. I found these creatures in one of my planter boxes. All the flowering plants were dying, so decided to, to pull them out and put new plants in any idea what they are. And uh, that particular little picture will show us a grub. And uh, that grub is, is the curl grub. Now, curl grub is a pretty common um, problem in pots. And the best way to treat it is to get yourself something called Bathroid Advance. It comes from Yates. You mix it up um, in this particular instance, uh, the concentrate into a watering can, and you drench the pots. And it'll soak through and it'll clean out all those curl grubs. What they're doing is they're basically chewing on the, the, the roots. And when they get in, it's, it wouldn't be a problem if there was one in there. But when you get five or six in there, they're going to kill your plants. They're going to set them back. So that's going to fix that particular problem. Bathroid advance, drench the pots, and you'll be fine. Cecilia is in Newcastle. Hello, Cecilia. We need to replace our retaining wall, but I'm nervous about relocating the established trees along the fence. Should I trim them before I dig them out? How should I store them for the fortnight that they're out of the ground? Okay, well, I've got to tell you, Cecilia, that um, it depends on the type of tree. So if they're a native species, it's highly unlikely that you'll be able to take them out. So they will be lost. I am very confident of that. If they're deciduous or uh, some of the exotic species that do transplant, um, you can take them out. You want to get as much of the soil as you possibly can around the root ball and not knock it off the root ball. Then you need to wrap the root ball with hessian and you need to soak it. And, and I would suggest that you get a wetting agent in a watering can and you drench the soil to make sure moisture is really going in around those roots because there's going to be a lot of damage done there. Now, soaking those in some sea salt will also do them the world of good. But um, really, it depends on the varieties. And it's where the previous um, questions that have been posted really are so good because what they're doing is they're giving me a chance to have a look at the type of tree. So if you know what the trees are, let us know. But um, in future, send me a picture, it always helps. Okay, Sandra is in the central coast. I was given a wax ivy, but I'm not sure if it's an indoor plant or an outdoor plant. Also, I don't know how to take care of this plant. It keeps getting tiny flying bugs on it. Okay, so if it's the one that I'm thinking it is, um, you're basically in a, a, a situation where this plant can be growing indoors or outdoors and it's a type of stephanotis and uh, can produce lovely lovely white flowers um, it is one of those plants that um, is probably best in a semi-shaded position outdoors um, but not in full sun so definitely I, I would suggest you keep it into shade if you can some areas it'll grow in full sun without any problem at all but you do need to be a little bit on the cautious side. And um, the little flying bugs, well, I'm suspecting that they are probably something like whitefly or one of those bugs that are fairly active. So in that particular instance, um, you can use uh, a, a chemical spray. Um, you probably only need a pyrethrum, which is a natural um, insecticide uh, to take control of those. And that's just a misting over the foliage. And as I said, if it's outside, it's a lot better than being indoors if you're doing that. Um, Sherry is, um, we're not sure where you're from, Sherry. I was wondering what the best app for mobile phones is for free to identify plants. So I've got a lot of succulents, but I don't know all the names. Sherry, this is a great question. And folks, this might be one where you want to make your contribution and let us know apps that you're using. I've tried a few of these. And if it's something that's very general, not a problem. If it's something specific like succulents, for example, tends to be really problematic. The, the technology is not quite there at the moment with most of these for us to feel comfortable that the name we're being given. We might get a genus that's correct, but certainly not the species. So I'm not going to recommend one because I, at the moment I don't have one that I trust either. So hopefully that helps a little bit. Um, 
Okay, uh, where are we? Audrey, we're not sure where you're from, Audrey. Please, folks, make sure you tell us where you're from, state and uh, and ideally town or area. Um, you've got a gardenia. It's not very happy and not growing much at all. What should I do? Well, gardenia should be growing really well right now. So pretty much all over the country, warmer weather. If it's warm and humid, even better, um, they should be growing well. So it's got to be either a lack of water, uh, which is probably the most likely outcome. And uh, it could be that it's also run out of energy if it's in pots. So fertilizing is very, very important this time of the year. And using a controlled release fertilizer will really help. But uh, I'm going to recommend this. It's not the right type. This is that that Scott's pour and feed product. And you can see it there. Now, this particular one is for indoor plants. I'll talk about this a bit later. But the great thing about this, it's pre-mixed liquid. And they have one for flowering plants. I'm pretty sure it comes in a pink container. You literally pour it into the into the cap and you give one cap per week. Now, Audrey, if you give your gardenia one cap of this per week of the flowering form, you'll find that it will pick up. So this is pour and feed from Osmocote. Really good product, really clever product. I think it won the product of the year last year. So it shows just how popular it is with people. Okay, let's go to the Illawarra area. Hello, Lynn. Um, you bought your first hydrangea. I've transferred it from my garden where it was dying into a large pot. Now, our backyard's facing east, so it gets morning sun, then shaded in the afternoon. Is this suitable? Best possible conditions, I think, Lynn. Afternoon sun tends to be the one that really burns. Um, the thing with pots is you've got to have made sure you put it into a really good potting mix um, because it'll have a wetting age in there. Sometimes they have water storage crystals in there but they have lots of good organics and they tend to hold that moisture around the roots. Hydrangeas really can be very sensitive in their first year or two and certainly going into the garden. I've got a, I've got a lot this year that I've put in and they've all struggled. They're really finding it hard. We've had extreme conditions in, in the Western Australia and um, they just don't like it too hot, but they harden up and they get better and better as time goes on. So your location is perfect. The only thing you've got to make sure you watch out for is water. Okay, keep that moisture up to them. Nikki is in the Gold Coast in the hinterland. Hello, Nikki. Um, can you please explain how to sun harden seedlings when sprouted at home from seed, please? All right, this is actually something I'll lead into a bit later on. But you know what? You have to actually shade cover them initially and then release them. And the ideal scenario, Nikki, is that they get shade in the afternoon and in the morning they get direct sun and that's probably for about a week or so and then you can slowly remove the, the, the shade and after about 10 to 14 days they'll be fully sun hardened but it is a gradual process so try and protect them in the afternoon when it's the hottest and driest and the morning if you can give them morning sun perfect direct sunlight's perfect Katrina unknown we're not sure where you're from Katrina is weed and feed good to put on lawn someone gave me three bottles wow um, Katrina, weed and feed is, it depends on your lawn type. So there's two types of weed and feed. There's one for buffalo grasses. There's one for fine leaf lawns. If you've got a buffalo or a kaiku, you want those broader leaf grasses and you use the fine leaf weed and feed on it, it'll burn the grass. So that's the first thing you've got to watch out for. Have you got weeds is the second thing you need to ask. If you've got a lot of flat weeds, then yeah, sure. Apply it, but don't apply it on a hot day. This is where letting me know where you are really helps because I can kind of guide you in the right direction because some places it's actually been relatively mild but quite moist. Um, and that brings me to the last point, and that is that you never apply weed and feed on a really hot day or a day where it's going to rain, okay? And, and look, the third thing that you always never do is apply on a windy day because weed and feed, if it flies off and lands on any shrubs or any plants nearby, um, what you'll see is you'll see them deteriorate. They'll, they'll literally be poisoned by the herbicide that's in that. Okay, wow. Well, we're flying along. We've got lots of questions coming in. But what I wanted to do was to talk about indoor plants. And you can see our living wall behind us. We've got things like syngoniums. We've got pe uh, peperonias. Um, and, of course, at the moment, we've got poinsettias. So... We've got a lot of those sort of plants that are quite common. Many of these would have been uh, gifts at Christmas time that you would have got your hands on and you're probably wondering how to get the best out of them. Well, there's two things that you need to take into account. One is moisture levels. So 
In a self-watering pot is the ideal scenario. This living wall gets watered twice a week and it's looked after pretty well. Um, the, the thing with this is that it never really dries out and if it does, we'll see the plants deteriorate. The trick, however, is to maintain growth. So we want them to actually be growing and producing more foliage. And that only occurs when you're giving them the energy um, to do so. So it's where it gets into that sort of fertiliser again. So this one that I showed you before, uh, Osmocote, it's pour and feed. Now this is specific to indoor plants and it's a particularly good one for foliage plants. So it really does uh, assist in, in growth. And what you'll see is you'll see really visible results within seven days. And as I mentioned before, it's a case of simply pouring this into the cap and it's one cap per plant. Now it encourages strong root development. Um, it boosts, it's boosted because it's got these trace elements in there. You'll find it makes your plants stronger and healthier. So they're more likely to, to really fight off and ward off some of the pests that are quite common. And it'll really encourage um, this steady growth, which is exactly what you want. So it's one cap per week. So a big wall like that's going to go through a few bottles, let's be honest. But if you've got, I don't know, four or five, a bottle like that's probably going to last you, I would say, at least two months, maybe three months. And your plants, I promise you, after three months of applying this, your plants will be booming. You will look like you've got a real green thumb. So it's um, Scott's Osmocote Indoor Range. Oh, I should say, actually, because that's the pour and feed, but when you think about um, product, think about the actual controlled release fertilizer. Um, that's absolutely fantastic. And if you've got some of those plants that are a little more sensitive, these are these are sort of quite strong, hardy indoor plants. But if you've got things like ferns, then they've also got this wonderful little misting product. And if you mist this over the foliage and it's got the nutrient in it, the plants will actually absorb that nutrients in through the foliage. So the, the two other types of Osmocote for indoors are really about feeding the root system and then as such, you know, being taken up into the plant. But if you mist in over the foliage, it's an instant effect. You'll see within 48 hours, you'll see the plant start to look good. Within four days, you'll see really good effect from that growth. And you can apply that probably every four to seven days. And um, it's a good way to bring your plants back and really get them growing strongly and particularly good for ferns from my personal experience. So hopefully that helps you. All right, shall we get back to some questions? Um, let's go to Balcom Hills. Actually, this is really good. Uh, Jayendra sent us through uh, some photos, and I'll show you the photo, but Jayendra also very kindly sent me a video. And this is a really, um, really sad problem because Jayendra's got um, a mango tree, and it's, it's full of mangoes, but they're seeing splitting and falling off the tree at a small stage. Now, that's a natural thing. You will get some shedding of fruit. But there's probably two things going on here, and we know that there's been a fair bit of rain uh, in Sydney, and this appears to be one of two problems, or possibly a combination of both, and that is that you can get yourself a disease called anthracnose. It's a, a is actually a disease, a bacterial disease, and uh, if there's any uh, damage to any of the, the fruit and just to the skin, and this disease is around, it can get in and cause black spots, and it can cause cracking and splitting. But when I've looked at the video, so I've looked at the photos here and you can see they're, they're splitting, they look to me like that is suddenly uh, just literally cracking open. And that's not an unusual thing to occur when you get large amounts of moisture and nutrient. So if you've been feeding this plant after the fruit set and the water has increased, so there's more water going to the plant, when the plant first sets its fruit, it sets to be a certain size. But if it's getting more nutrient and more water, that fruit will grow bigger and literally start to split open. See, the tree doesn't care about how the fruit looks. What the tree cares about is that the seed is as good as it can be, and that's what's going on inside. So it's producing a beautiful big seed so that the tree can go on and, and, and new trees start to pop up around the outside. Not good news for you, Jayendra. The trick is don't feed your mangoes after the fruit has set. So once basically the flowers are out, back off the food, don't give them anything. Definitely, um, you know, around that time, you don't want too much water on them. Uh, it's very, very hard if you're getting lots of rain. Um, I, I understand that, but it is what it is. 
Sorry about that, but thank you so much for sending the video through and also that great photo. Now we'll keep moving along. We've got another photo actually sent through. This is from Juanita in Adelaide. Great to have everybody from SA joining us this morning. Um, you can see the photos attached here. Now this is one where I think you might have got me, Juanita. This looks to me like something I know as a sea grape, but I'm just not quite 100% sure. So I'm going to do a little bit of research on that one. And I'll come back to you on it, but it looks to me like the sea grape. It looks like the fruit of the sea grape. can only see a couple of leaves there, but definitely round like the sea grape. And um, it's quite an interesting little plant, and the fruit is edible on the sea grape. But please don't eat this one until such a time we've checked it out for you, okay? One of the good things to do with these things is obviously try and put it through us, and if I can't find out exactly what it is for you, drop into your local garden centre. You know, somebody like Heine's Garden Centre in Adelaide, great place to go to. They'll have horticulturalists on hand. And if there's a few of these kinds of trees in the neighbourhood, no doubt they will know about them. So they can provide you some really good advice. But it's a very interesting little plant. Um, and if it's not that one, it's one other one, which I just, I can't see how that could grow in Adelaide. So I don't want to suggest that it is, but we'll do some research. We'll come back to you. Ray has written into us, but I'm not sure where you're from, Ray. Please do... Uh, Please do that. Um, let us know where you're from. I've got a question. I'm growing watermelons for the first time. They are the size of a football. When do I know when it's ready to pick? As soon as you start to see a slight change in the dark green nature of the skin, a little bit of a slightly yellowish blush starts to come on the top side of the fruit, pick it. It's ready to go. It's that easy, Ray. Once they get to generally that size of a football, they're getting into, um, into the size when they're ready to pick. Okay, um, here we go. This is where people are sending in some good info. And it's great to see some people uh, from Adelaide providing uh, some, some questions, which is great. Margaret has done that. She's from Broughton in Upper York Peninsula in SA. Um, is that living wall behind you attached to plasterboard? Do you need to reinforce indoor walls before installing one? Great question. It's actually a self-contained unit. So this is a uh, a specialist company that that uh, builds these, uh, that um, builds them, that makes them. We then build it, so it comes in a kit form. The company is called Atlantis, and this system is effectively freestanding. So it's using recycled plastic. Um, it's literally a, a frame. It can can hold irrigation systems within it, and um, and it's got a, a, a trough at the bottom, and all the water that's that's applied through the top moves down through each of the planters and into the trough below. So it's called Atlantis. I would Google it. It's not commonly available. There are some good systems out there, though. Um, the guys from Holman's have a great living wall system that um, it's probably could do with more soil sometimes than, than you want. But if you're looking for something that's just got that effect and you want to change it over, change it up every six months or so, their system's awesome. So Holman's, which you'd find in Bunnings, um, Atlantis, which you'd probably have to order online or do some research because it tends to be more a commercial form like this one. And once that's sort of in the frameworks in there, yes, it is fixed to the wall, but um, it's it's mainly freestanding. So hopefully that answers your question. Tyson's back with us this week from Victoria. Hello, Tyson. Thanks for joining us. Um, where can you get timber from to do up the garden beds? Can you please give me some tips and advice? Yes, well, look, Tyson, as far as timber goes, you know, probably your local Bunnings trade um, centre or trade area in your Bunnings store, first place to go. The first bit of advice is you need to tell them what it is that you're doing because you don't want any timber that has been treated with arsenic. Now, there are some sodium-treated timbers and there's some that have also been through a steam treatment that are brilliant for, for raised garden beds. So, um, yeah, sodium-treated, steam-treated, um, talk to talk to your local timber expert, um, but definitely do not go down the line of using any arsenic-treated sleepers or, or timber, and that is a fairly common thing. So make sure that you protect yourself. And and you know one of the things, Tyson, is um, lining the inside of those garden beds is always a good idea. And you can just use something like weed mats. So um, it does allow them to still breathe. You don't want um, you don't want water to build up in there. If you do, if you line it completely with plastic. It's really that outside wall. And if you line the outside wall, the timber will last so much longer. Hopefully that answers your question. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. 
Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. Um, and thanks again, Tyson, for joining us each week. You're fantastic. Now, remember, folks, you can join us via our Facebook page, uh, via um, Garden Express's Facebook page, or via YouTube, which is what Dan from Sydney East has done. Do you recommend the pour and feed in the mist version for a Wallamai pine? Uh, either suitable for the plant. No, look, you know what, Dan, my advice with a Wallamai pine is that you use the controlled release, um, the traditional Osmocote. You want probably two handfuls for a Wallamai pine this time of the year, and then it's going to feed it for somewhere between 12 weeks and you know anything, anything up to six months, depending on the type. You probably just want the general garden form. You don't need the, definitely don't need the flowering form. It's not going to take up those sorts of nutrients, um, but that will really stimulate some good growth. And I should say to you all that right at this moment, we are now officially, you know, three months, four months into the peak of the growing season. And we've got a lot of time to go yet where plants are going to grow a lot before we move into the cooler conditions and shorter days. This is the moment in time in my garden when I can see my plants running out of energy. They need to be fed. They really do need nutrients being give to, given to them if we're, if we're irrigating our garden. If they're, even if they're native plants, feeding native plants this time of the year is a good thing, not a bad thing. Just use your specialised native plant food. Really important you get out there and feed. Um, and, and look, you know, if you're wondering what to do, if you're not sure and you're worried about overfeeding or you don't know what to use, that's where Osmocote in that prill form, that controlled release is so good because it releases small amounts of food every day. And something like a Wallamai pine doesn't want a lot of food. It wants small amounts every day to su support and sustain growth. That's all you need. Okay, Mary. Um, again, Mary, I'm not sure where you're from. I think I can answer your question because it's fairly generic in nature, but please send us through where you're from. I know Katrina's coming up and um, she's asked that question. I oh, know we've answered that question, so that's, um, that's okay, that could come out. Mary, um, I put a shovel full of homemade compost on top of my edibles in a pot. Then I noticed hundreds of slaters in the compost. Too late, they already hit in my soil. What to do? Well, slaters are, are not a bad thing. Slaters are actually a good thing and they're, they're not an insect as such. They, they're actually a crustacean, so they're um, a member of the, of the crayfish family, you know, prawns and so on. That's what they actually are. And in some parts of the world, they're known as wood lice because they tend to eat rotting wood. This gives you an indication as to exactly what their diet is. They prefer that woody, um, ideally probably not quite composted organic material. Now, when they consume it, they actually process it themselves and provide fertilizer into the soil. So they're not a bad thing to have, but in large quantities with soft foliage plants, like say seedlings, they can be quite a problem. So if you want to get rid of them, the simple thing to do is get yourself an orange and, and cut it in half and squeeze the juice out, drink the juice and take the halves out. Put them on top of the pot where you've, where you've got your, um, your compost about four o'clock in the afternoon. Then at about 8.30, 9 o'clock, come out with a plastic bag and pick your halves up. You'll find that all the slaters have gone to that juice inside. They can't resist it. They love the sugars that are in the, in the orange and they'll be eating the flesh. And if you take those two halves, pop them in the plastic bag, take them up to your chook pen and give them to your chooks or tie a knot in the top and pop it in your bin, that'll be the end of those slaters. Um, but, yeah, as, as I said, you know, slaters are not – it's not the end of the world with slaters because – um, they are a completely natural part of the ecosystem. And, you know, wherever we can, let's avoid killing animals. Let's um, try and keep the balance right. That's the important thing. Okay, I hope that helps, um, Mary. Now we're going to head back to Perth. Okay, hi, Hannah, uh, you're in Perth. How do I keep my potted Christmas tree alive for the next year? It looks a bit sad. Do you know what? It's probably been indoors and they're growing outdoors. Um, the trick right now, Hannah, is for you to take that tree and pot it up into some really good potting mix in a pot that's one size larger and put it in a sunny spot, okay? Um, potting mix has to be premium. So look for that Osmocote 
professional mix. Now you can get the the orange bag, but I would go for the blue bag. All right, that's the the, the premium premium of potting mixes. It's got everything that plant is going to need and to to get it growing and and looking happy again. So do that. And what you'll find is within probably six months, that tree will be looking magnificent just in time for Christmas to come in sort of around about November, December, uh, later in the year. So hopefully that helps. Rebecca is in Hilbert and she's losing um, a veggie garden to caterpillars, which is a lot of people are actually bringing this up, all right? So there's a lot of caterpillar activity out there at the moment in different places for different reasons. They really are thriving. If they're out of control and they're ruining your veggies, then you want to use something like Dipel or Success. Now, both of these use a bacterial agent that um, it, when sprayed over the top of the foliage, the caterpillars digest it and it disrupts their digestion process. And in doing that, um, they stop eating. So they won't eat any more of that and then they'll just disappear. Um, it is a nice natural way to do it and does help you avoid spraying chemicals on your produce. Always follow the, the directions, but this is the most natural way to control it. Dipel or Success. There's two of them out there and both of them are really good. Wow, we really have a lot going on. And I might have mentioned earlier on today that we got a fantastic video and it sort of I suppose, um, made us realise that we would love to sort of hear a little bit more from you. And, and videos of what you're doing and what's happening really do help us. So every week we are going to try and answer a couple of viewers' questions basically via video. So we're going to encourage you to send in a video submission. You're going to need to just tell us your name, your location, and then talk through your gardening problem. Ideally, um, show us the actual the plant up front and talk it through. It's a really good way for us to be able to, well, for me to personally to be able to answer it, but more importantly, um, for everybody else to see what's going on because uh, they may well have that same problem going on in their garden. So great chance for us to interact Two videos will be selected every week to be played on The Garden Gurus Live, and I'll answer them here for you. We'd love to see what your garden looks like too and what the problem is uh, if it's occurring in your local location. Videos will only be selected if they follow that criteria, that is your applicant stating your name, your location, your question, and you must be submitting them through the Facebook page by Wednesday, the week before we go live. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to answer all questions, but if you'd like to be involved, send us your video questions. Here's an example of some video questions that have been sent in. Hey, my name's Julian, and I'm from the Gold Coast in Queensland. My question is, if you live in a hot place and you have the aircon on a lot of the time, is that bad for your houseplants? And what can you do to fix it if it is? Thanks. Well, that's a great question, Julian, and thank you so much for sending that in. Um, interestingly enough, air conditioning can be a real nightmare for indoor houseplants. Remembering most houseplants have origins in tropical rainforests, so very high humidity. Um, they, they much prefer to, to have a humid environment than they do to have a dry environment. And when you're running aircon all the time, or even during the winter, running your heaters on, it can often cause the air to dry out. And then what you'll start to see is around the outside edge of the leaves, this burning effect. That's quite common on plants like ficus. So, you know, that fiddle leaf fig, if you're getting brown edges around the outside, probably what you want to do is move it to the furthest point away from your air conditioner as you possibly can. And getting a little mister, one of those $2 misters that you can get from your local supermarket, popping some water in and occasionally just misting the leaves does them the world of good. Now, question number two came from Robin in Perth. Hey, Robin here from Perth, WA. Our grass has suffered a lot over the summer with the heat wave and everything, and we've watered it, but um, it's still struggling. Just wondering what other things you recommend products we could use to bring it back. Thanks. That's great, Robin. Um, really good. One, great that you've asked the question, and two, that you've sent us some video in to show that lawn. We can see it. And it's stinking hot weather at the moment. And this is where you'll really see any shortcomings to your irrigation system. Your lawn will show it up straight away. Now, there's a lot of things that you can do, but the most important one is to make sure you get your sprinklers working properly and get some water, some wetting agent on that area, watered in and soaked into the soil. Now, when you apply wetting agent, you either get a liquid one or you get a granular, spread it out over the ground, get the hose out, and it, whether it's liquid or whether it's granular, wash it into the surface of the soil. Really important that you get it into that probably top 100 mil layer of soil. 
This will get out any dry pockets and encourage water and nutrient to soak in. And that encourages the lawn's roots to grow deeper too, which means it's less susceptible to extreme weather. Over here in the West, we're looking to having, I think it's something like four to five days, 38 degrees into the early 40s over the next week. Now, this is extreme, and this is where you'll really see, you know, lawns really start to struggle. So, yeah, my advice is, wedding agent, you can do something if you want to bring it back quick. If the burn's not too bad and you want to see your lawn recover quickly, um, the guys from Scott's have this product called Extreme Green, and um, you can literally hose it over the top of the lawn and you'll see an immediate response. Within a few days, that lawn will start getting a nice dark green color. It's not gonna solve patches where it's died off, but what it will do is encourage the lawn, anything that's alive under there to pop back up and take off, and anything that's growing across to spread across and cover those patches quickly. Hopefully that helps. Um, certainly, you know, lawns getting patches, now is the time when you really do start to see it as a consequence of uh, extreme heat. So hopefully that helps, Robin. Okay. Plan of the week, you know me, I can't help myself. I can never come up with just one plant. So I thought I'd show you this one here. Um, it's just about finished flowering, but it is just beautiful. And it's bergamot. So I got this from Swan Valley Nursery, and it's part of their um, part of their range of tea plants. So bergamot is that got that wonderful uh, Earl Grey. Um, flavor that comes into it. It's often used in quite a few different types of teas. And the flowers can be picked and thrown straight into hot water and just steeped for a while to get that natural tea without necessarily the caffeine kick that you would get from, uh, from the tea leaf. Uh, now's a good time to grow it. And the reason why I say it is because you might also see plants like this out in the marketplace um, ready to buy. This is pawpaw, and if you're going to plant a pawpaw, it doesn't matter where you are, now's the time to buy the plants and plant them into your ground because you want them to be growing during the warmest time of the year. They love the heat. They are a tropical plant. Um, and if you've got bergamot nearby and your pawpaw is producing lots of flowers, You'll be, produce, you'll be bringing lots and lots of bees in because the bees will see the bergamot fly to it and fly to the pawpaw flowers and do a lot of cross-pollinating for you. So you'll end up, if you've got a male or a female, highly likely they'll move between others in the district. You'll end up with a lot of fruit setting quite quickly. So if you're not getting a lot of fruit set, bergamot in your garden, this as far as fruit goes, this is such a good fruit for us. It's not everybody's cup of tea, but the great thing about pawpaw is when you eat it, it's got an enzyme in there that is so good for digestion. So if you suffer from a bit of indigestion after a meal or, or even sometimes taking having this before a meal, um, what it will do is it'll activate these stomach enzymes of yours and allow you to process the food a lot better, reducing your risk of getting anything like indigestion or heartburn. So pawpaw is a great addition to your garden and the fruit, which is now available in stores quite widely, um, Great, great fruit to be eating, incredibly good for you. And when it's sun ripened at home, just tastes so good. Okay, um, we're starting to get a lot of questions coming through, but I think before we fly into it, might just go and talk about this new product. Well, it's not a new product. It is actually a product that's extremely seasonal. And we're just, Robin sent through that video before about a lawn, but so many people bringing up about problems with um with, I suppose, extreme heat, you know, really setting back things like seedlings. And we did have a question earlier on about that as well. So Garden Express have these wonderful tunnels. They, they literally are expandable. They come with a little frame and you can put them out into your garden. This is, this is them. You can see them up on your screen. They are absolutely brilliant. Now, there's three or four different types. There is the one that's the polytunnel, which is really good if you're getting seedlings, if you're growing from seed and you're getting them up because it keeps the moisture in. The one you're now seeing is the shade one. This is vitally important um, if you're planting seedlings or small plants um, because what it does is it really does reduce the extreme. And there's a, there's a really good one if you're in cold conditions, which is a fleece tunnel. So it allows you then to grow during the other, other times of the year when it's really cool. This um, is known as the Garden Express uh, Gardener's Advantage range. And the mini tunnels, they just are such a great one-piece expand-out um, concept. They're three metres long, so it's typical of the average garden bed. 
You can get a lot of plants protected under that for some period of time. Also a chance for you to create a barrier between pests as well. So if you're getting your first plants up early in the, for example, in the, the season when it comes to things like um, strawberries, you don't want snails and slugs getting into your strawberries and eating the fruit. This is a nice way that you can protect them. Now, normally these um, packs, they would be a, um, let me think about this. Normally they would be uh, $29. I'm just looking at the numbers up here, but Garden Guru viewers can pick them up for just $23.90. That's a 20% saving. That's pretty good. That's from David and Rowan and all the team at Garden Express. They're also offering a set of three for 60 bucks, um, which was as shown. It's a saving of over 30%. Um, so you've actually got two options there of getting these things that are going to protect your young plants and get them up. And once you've got them, they last for years. They really are really good value for money. It's Garden Express, so you know that you can just jump online straight after the show today, gardenexpress.com.au, place your order, and you can order anything else you like whilst you're there, you know, any of the plants that they've got on or any other garden products that they have there, and they will deliver them to you direct to your door. It's a, it's a great way, I suppose, to get all of your garden goodies um, from Garden Express. So really cool little plants, uh, really good plant protectors, garden tunnels. Now's the time to keep your eye out for them, whether it's the mesh, whether it's the poly or the fleece tunnel. Um, they are all very handy if you're growing sensitive plants and certainly getting young plants up and growing, particularly in a veggie garden. This is the way to protect them and get them moving forward. All right. Okay. Thanks. Don't forget gardenexpress.com.au. This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. We're going to get into your questions because we've got a lot of them flowing through. Now, remember, please send us your state, ideally your town. I mean, if you're in the heart of Sydney, it doesn't matter. Just put in Sydney. And always remember to hit the like button too because it shares it with your friends, particularly if they've got the same kind of problems. You've been discussing it over a barbie over the weekend. I can solve it for both of you in one hit. Okay, James from Mahogany Creek in WA, he's actually recommended Leaf Snap app um, to identify plants. He said it's been pretty accurate. I've downloaded that one. Um, yeah, not bad, James. It's probably one of the better ones of all the options out there. So for that question previously, I want to identify plants, or in this particular case, it was succulents. Um, then Leaf Snap is a is a app you can download, and it's one word: Leaf Snap. Um, go to your your iTunes store, or your want your favourite um, app provider, and you can download it and put it up there. Then what you do is you literally take a photo of the plant, you, you put it in front, and it'll run through its database and come back and give you an option. And as I said. There's a lot of work to be done in this technology, but it is a handy way to help identify your plants in the garden. Rhonda, we're not sure where you're from, but this is a good one because it's all about um, all about indoors. And you said that indoor pour and feed, can you use it on indoor orchids? Well, you can. Um, it's going to encourage a lot of, of growth, but what you really want to do is you want to use the flower-promoting version um, which is a fantastic way to go. That that pour. So remember, we talked about this before. It comes in a comes in a bright pink bottle, I'm sure, and um, it's for orchids, and it just helps the plant produce amazing flowers. And again, it, it's a cap a week, pretty much, to get incredibly good results. So Rhonda, um, hopefully that helps you. Marina is in Sydney. I'm just wondering why my lovely sweet strawberries have started starting tasting started tasting acidic. Any ideas on how to improve this? Yes, sulfate of potash. Sulfate of potash, Marina. Um, it sweetens the soil <clears throat> and sweetens the fruit all in one move. Tends to indicate that you're probably getting quite an acidic soil at the moment. So, um, yeah, now's the time to actually do something about it. Once you start to see the, the change in the flavour, indicates that you've got a change in pH. Sulfate of potash encourages more fruit 
bigger fruit, but most importantly, sweeter fruit. And it applies to pretty much all fruit. So whatever it is, folks, that you're growing at home, sulfate of potash, not a bad one to apply this time of the year. Uh, Robins in Sydney, my once lovely buffalo lawn is slowly but surely being overtaken by dreaded kaikuyu or kaikui as some people like to call it. It's I'm uncertain of the best way to get rid of it um, so I can get back my buffalo. It's a really hard one, Robin, because there's no selective spray that'll take kaikuyu out um, and leave your buffalo at the same time. The only way to do it is probably to use something like a contact spray that is systemic like Roundup or glyphosate, um, mix it up and literally paint it on the runners and that will slowly knock it back. It's the one good way to actually knock back the Kaikuyu, but very difficult because Kaikuyu is so vigorous and so difficult to control. If it's early stages, you might be in with a chance. Okay, Let's go to Melbourne. Um, hello, Helen. Uh, thanks so much for writing in. What's the best time to cut back my leggy Japanese lanterns? Okay, so this is a beautiful plant. I love them and they do get leggy. Uh, now is a good time to be cutting them back. What you don't want to do is do it if you're going to have some 40 degree days ahead of you. And I know it could be this time of year, always around the Australian Open, start getting some pretty hot weather. So, you know, if you're, going to, if you're going to take a risk, you can cut them back now. They'll bounce back, but they might need a bit of protection with some shade if you cut them back. Or you can leave it to March when we know the worst of the hot days are behind us. Cut them back then and they will recover quite quickly at that point in time. Hopefully that helps you. Pam, uh, oh, sorry, no, Deborah is from Lowood in Queensland. We're all over the, all over the country today, which is wonderful. Um, now, my white, my double white desert rose flowered last year and the flowers were beautiful. My question is, this year it flowered single pink and you're at a loss to know why. So that's what they call reversion. Sometimes they revert back to one of the parents. Now, it can actually be that just one branch on that plant flowers single pink and the others will all flower white. And hopefully that's what the case is. Now, the single pink will be more vigorous, so eventually it'll actually overtake the double white. So what you want to do is find the, where the flowers are coming from that and remove those branches, and hopefully all the energy will go into the double whites and you won't get too much recurrence of the pink. Um, if you keep doing that, and often you'll see this with variegated plants, you'll see a green, you know, green growth start to come out. If you remove the green growth, all the energy goes back into the variegation, you should be fine. Pam is from Broken Hill in New South Wales. I've inherited an elkhorn fern that desperately needs some advice on how to care and feed it, please. I have it undercover and gets very limited morning sun. All right, well, that's perfect, Pam. That's great. Don't like, um, you know, I know you can get some pretty nasty frosts out there. Don't like frost, so watch that in the winter. Um, best feeding technique, I'm going to tell you that it's going to be something like Charlie Carp, so fish emulsion is really good. Um and you know the old story about uh, banana skins, getting banana skins and popping them in behind the, the leaf sheet? Um, stick that in there. That's a really good way to slowly release uh, a very high potassium diet to, um, to the elkhorns. They are a fern. Some people mix them up, think that they're an indoor plant or a foliage plant of some sort, but they are a true fern. So you are quite right. They don't require huge amounts of fertilizer, but if you want them to grow quick, then certainly the two things I've suggested will help. So once a month with fish emulsion and uh, keep packing banana skins in behind them and they'll love it. Wendy is in Shepparton in Victoria. My Daphne Adora is dropping its yellow leaves, overwatering. Absolutely, Wendy. They do not like to be overwatered and I reckon that's what's going on. Um, try and back the water off. Definitely don't have it sitting in a tray of water. So if you're watering and, and sitting in a tray or a pot that's holding water in the base, that can really cause problems for them. They don't like their, their roots literally being saturated. So, so this is one that um, needs to be kept moist, but not too moist. Beautiful plant. The fragrance and the flowers of Daphne is just one of the best things ever. Okay, let's go to Sydney, Meadowbank. Hello, Liz. This is, um, this is an interesting one. Liz has got a pandan plant. Now, pandan is a, 
absolutely beautiful plant, but it is tropical and it's three years old. It's not thriving. You repotted about three months ago and then it had mites, which I treated, but it's still not thriving. Any pointers would be deeply appreciated. Yeah, I would give it another hit with um, something like Bathroid Advance um, for a start just to make sure that you don't have any, any mites. Basically, mites have a life cycle of about 14 to 16 days. So, um, they'll lay eggs and then 14 to 16 days, days later, they're laying more eggs. So in that period of time, if you can do uh, day one, spray, spray them again in 14 days and then spray them again in another 14 days, you'll make sure you've got rid of your mites. So the whole cycle will be completely gone. Pandan, as I said, love it nice and warm. So they, they tend to be, um, you know, they're part of the pandanus family. Pandanus can be a big plant. Um, but they really do prefer it on on the warmer side, the pandan itself. So I would uh, try and find a nice warm spot. They can be in full sun in Sydney. Um, they do need to have a little bit of liquid fertiliser over the foliage probably this time of the year. Not a lot, just the occasional liquid feed and it should do its own thing. Hopefully it comes back for you, Liz. Uh, Vanette in uh, Belladura, that's here in Perth. My two-year-old plum trees, a protea and a peach, have been attacked by termites. Now, they were professionally sprayed and the plum tree survived, but I lost the protea and the peach. Is this common? And is there anything that could have been done to prevent this from happening? No, you know what? Sometimes it just happens. I had a, a mulberry a few years back that was the one that I really wanted to grow. It was a red chartreuse, really difficult to, to find and get. And I, for whatever reason, the termites went around everything else and went to that tree and ate out the bottom of it and it died. I had to treat them. Um, it's, you know, sometimes, you know, termites are brought into gardens when they're dry, uh, when there's a lot of wood chip use, they can be active because of that. Um, if they're things that you're doing, then maybe you might want to rethink about the kind of, um, one is the kind of mulch you're using and two is increase the moisture. So maybe soaking the ground or in all your garden beds with a wetting agent um, is a big deterrent for, um, for termites. And also for ants, folks. So if you've got ants and they're pretty active, um, get the ground nice and wet. They'll move on to somewhere else. Louise is from Perth as well. In fact, we've got a few from Perth flowing through, which is great. Um, is the root system of wisteria and jasmine invasive? My other plants are getting choked. They are surviving, but they're not thriving um, by a root system, which is like a bowl of matted roots. Well, they do have a pretty intense root system, wisteria. Jasmine, a little less so, um, but jasmine can smother them out the other way, and that's just literally overtake them. So um, the answer is that, uh, yeah, they do have a relatively vigorous root system. If the plants are up close, it might be knocking them back just a little bit. Uh, there's not a lot you can do, though, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be removing wisteria or jasmine from my garden. I would maybe maybe be moving plants a little bit further away from, from the plant that you think is competing with it. Kerry, um, stay, we're staying in Perth. We'll stay for a couple of questions in Perth before we head uh, right across the country again. Um, Kerry has got a small apple tree and a raised garden bed. What's the best time to transplant it? Winter is the best time, Kerry, when they go dormant. So leave it, leave it in the garden bed during the growing season. Give it a bit of a prune back um, before you transplant it and then transplant it probably in July is the best time and get those roots to soak with sea salt and it'll... It'll do very well. Colette is in WA. Hello, Colette. I've planted new roses, but the flowers and new growth is munted. But tiny messed up flowers. I heard it might be chilly thrip. If so, what can I do for them? Colette, I am absolutely sure that that is what the problem is. And we're seeing it so commonly. And I've had to treat it in my own garden with my own roses. And it really destroys the flower bud initially, but it can get new growth as well when they're really bad. Uh, best treatment, I'm going to tell you to apply Bathroid Advanced over it, over the foliage, over the flowers, and I would do it um, three times over the next three to four weeks if I was you. And you will break the breeding cycle of those thrips. Um, any of the damaged growth is going to need to be trimmed off, and I would give the plant a really good feed to encourage more growth. Now, if you see any more of that sort of damage, I would do that three spray with the um, Bathroid again, and you'll knock the population of the chili trip down. What you don't want to do, though, is be spraying every week uh, for the rest of the season with any kind of spray because thrips adjust and adapt 
and it won't kill them anymore next season. So keep that um, keep that in mind. Claire, my zucchinis are doing well, but not many female flowers opening up. The males open early, but some days I can't find a female flower. I'm keen to manually pollinate. Now, Claire, with zucchinis, when the weather is really hot, they tend to produce more male flowers, less female flowers. I've got it in my garden right at the moment. Not a lot you can do about it except for wait until the weather cools. Once you get a few cool days in a row, you'll see female flowers emerge and that's when you'll get out and get pollinating. Hopefully that helps you. Tracy is in Adelaide. Hello, Tracy. Thank you to you and everybody in SA for joining us today. How would you water frangipani cuttings that have finally started to grow leaves? They've been looking like dead sticks for over a year. Well, well done on getting your cuttings up and growing. Now is the time to start watering, and I'd be watering them two to three times a week if they are in pots. Really, um, probably a really good way to go just at the moment. Um, and I wouldn't be scared to give them a bit of liquid fertiliser at the same time uh, in that water. That will really help them get a good root system established and get a bit of growth and, and um, you know, I suppose just to cement themselves as far as a strong, healthy plant goes. Now, we're going to Tassie, which is great, great to um, catch up with everybody down there. And Natasha has asked, my mum wants me to assist her to create a garden at her house. She's in northern New South Wales, though. Any advice on a web page or magazine to assist me to edu educate myself in plants that thrive in hot climates? You know, every week on The Garden Gurus um, during the spring and during the autumn, we have a regular contribution uh, coming out of New South Wales from my mate, Nigel Ruck. Now, Nigel is an absolute gun when it comes to plants and he's showing some really amazing plants that thrive in that hot New South Wales, particularly the northern New South Wales climate. Some beautiful gardens up there and I featured some of them myself on the show as well. So I'd suggest you go to our website. It is thegardengurus.tv. Check it out. And that should help you a lot with regards to the information that you need to get to assist mum with the garden. Natasha, I hope that helps. Warwick, we're not quite sure where you're from, Warwick, but look, stag, staghorn ferns, they tend to be, um, they tend to be a fairly, this is a standard sort of problem. Your question is, my staghorns are getting eaten by fluffy white looking bugs any good sprays I can use? Well, this is a pretty difficult one because it says to me that you've got mealybug. Mealybugs are a terrible insect. It really is difficult to get rid of on stag staghorns and it will set them back to the point where they'll die if you're not careful. So you do need to get on in control of it. And I've, I've been sort of going to this bathroid a fair bit in the last, uh, the last day or so, but um, it's another one that will knock mealybug around. And I would suggest that you look at applying it only apply it at recommended rates though warwick um, so check the label read it thoroughly and then apply it those recommended rates if you put too much spray in your container you'll burn the plant ferns are notorious for getting burnt by chemicals so this is one that um, i don't really have an easy go-to natural solution for you sometimes um, they'll recommend that you use things like white oil and that I'm not as, look, it's just not going to do the job, to be quite honest, with staghorns. You won't get rid of the, the bug. So for mealybug, you're going to need some sort of treatment. Hopefully that helps. Um, okay, we're going to come back to, to Perth. And Sue was given a coleus, Main Street. The first few weeks it was fine. Now it's dropping its leaves rapidly. It's currently indoors in the lounge originally, now the sunroom with great airflow. Is this Okay. Coleus really like it bright. They do like it bright, but they don't like full sun. I know that's difficult. So being indoors is not a bad thing. If you've got a really nice sunny area, great. The other thing they don't like is overwatering. Underwatering is a problem, but overwatering is a really significant problem. So, um, you know, you've got to try and sort of just keep checking that soil to make sure that it's moist but not saturated. So it can't sit in a tray of water or anything like that. Hopefully that helps Sue. Um, I love collies, beautiful plant, really lovely. Barbara is in North Haven, and we've gone back to, to Adelaide. This is coastal Adelaide, North Haven. Um, I've got a French penny in a pot, and I was going to transplant it into the ground, but it is now flowering. When's the best time to transplant? Well, very easy, Barbara, don't go panicking. You can plant it as soon as it's finished flowering, and leave it in the pot doing that. Then get it into the ground, put in lots of good soil into the ground, okay? So if you've got a heavy kind of soil, I don't think that that's what you're suffering from in North Haven. I think it's more a kind of sandy, free-draining soil. If you've got a sandy, free-draining soil, lots of compost in there, 
Um, get some nutrient, maybe a handful of um, fertilizer or tree planting tablet into the bottom of the hole and keep the water up to it and just get it growing in its new home as quickly as you can. But it's only going to flower for another month or so and then it's ready to be transplanted. Jeanette is in the, in southeast Queensland. Hello, Jeanette. My frangipani has rust. How do I get rid of it, please? One extreme to the other. So too much moisture and frangipanis can get rust. There are some, uh, some uh, gee whiz, some fungicides that you can get. Uh, it depends on your local area because some rust can become quite resistant to fungal fungicides. I would recommend, Jeanette, that you go and see your local garden centre and talk to them about that. My advice is that you get two uh, different rust treatments, if you can, and spray it over your tree. Now, spraying it on top of the foliage doesn't have any effect at all. You're going to have to get a high-pressure sprayer and spray it up underneath the foliage and all the way through the tree, and that will help get control of that rust problem. Matthew is in Melbourne. Hello, Matthew. When will our frangipani start flowering in Melbourne West? Well, it should be about now, Matthew. Um, but a little bit cooler, so it tends to be a later flowering season in Melbourne, but um, certainly um, in the warmer climates, they're either flowering now or they've even gone past it. But Melbourne, you should be just a little bit later, so hopefully that helps. Norell is in Haywood in South Australia. I can't believe we've had so many South Australians come in today. It's, it's great to have you join us. Um, I've got flies that come from the from potted uh, from the potting mix uh, from inside plants. What do I do to get rid of them? I've already changed the potting mix, but it's still getting them. Okay, so the potting mix you need to change to is one from Scotts. It's called, um, it, it's Osmocote for indoor plants. It's in a grey bag and it uses cocoa peat. And that those flies you're getting rid of are getting a, a, a peering, are called fungus gnats. And they're eating the wood in the other potting mix. That's the source. And it's a good source for them to one, get food and two, to breed. So I change the potting mix. Make sure you're using a specialised indoor potting mix that uses cocoa peat as the base. That's the first thing. Getting rid of them. There is a product from Yates actually out there for fungus gnats. And it's just basically a highly um, absorbent stone that you can spread across the top of the soil. So you could use something like zeolite if you had it as well. You move it over the top of the soil like a little layer just over the top and um, that will dry out the top like literally a couple of millimetres of soil where all the eggs sit and you won't see the fungus gnats come back. They'll go forever. Hopefully that helps. Norell. Monica is in Trelgan. Sorry, I'm struggling here. South. I've been given a little pot of 20 little dragon fruit. Do I transplant them into bigger pots as is or do I separate them? Um, once they are growing, sounds like they've been grown from seed, once they're growing and they're beyond the two, first two leaves, um, you want to transplant them and you want to transplant them into separate pots. Now, only little tubes is all you need. So get a tray. Um, you can get those little tubes. Head to gardenexpress.com.au and you can actually get your hands on them. They sell them there and you just pop a little potting mix in and you, you prick them out of the, the big pot that you've got, put them into little pots. And once they've got growing, they're established and their root system is down into the base of that tube, you then put them into a bigger pot, which probably won't be uh, until we start to get into sort of, well, middle of summer next year. You want to get them established and be growing really strong. Interesting thing is if they've been grown from seed, you could get sort of variation in the colour of the fruit, in the size of the fruit and also the taste. So it's something uh, that will be very interesting to see. Okay. We're just about done. I'll answer one more question. Nikki is on the south coast of New South Wales. Hello, Nikki. I've got a plague of snails. I can't use baits because of my dogs. I've got beer baits down, but always full. Is there anything else I can do? I've had a little bit of a problem with the beer baits at my place because one of my dogs took a liking to beer. So unfortunately, I kept finding them empty all the time and the, the dog was sleeping a lot. So um, not, not a good combination, I'm afraid. But look, those beer baits normally do the job. You can beat snails by using what, what we call bluestone. So using a copper-based spray. Snails have no tolerance for copper and um, it's not a, not a normal thing that's recommended. But look, you can get the, the bluestone from your local garden centre. You crush it and you spread little layers around the outside um, of your garden beds. You can maybe spread a little bit through. They come in contact with the copper and because they're mollusks, they've got no tolerance to it, so they die 
or they'll go away. Uh, one of two good things, and they're not going to affect your dogs either using the bluestone. So the dogs will tend not to like that at all. So that should be a good solution for you. That's pretty natural because bluestone is just um, copper, copper sulfate, basically. It's just a, a natural occurring um, copper product. Hopefully that helps. So thanks so much. Um, if you've enjoyed today's show, always remember, hit that like button. It really does help us. And we're sorry if we didn't get to your question today. There's been a lot coming through. We try and get through all of them. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us each week. Robin will be sending a message to our seed winners after today's show. And I'll be back next Monday for another session of The Garden Guru's Live. It's 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. It's 9am if you're over here in the West. And don't forget your video submissions via Facebook. Get them in before Wednesday. Two will be chosen for next week. Remember to state your name, uh, suburb, um, state ideally, and of course the question. And uh, if you can get a shot of you asking that question and shot of the problem, uh, even better, we can split it as we saw earlier on with the one that was sent in by Robin. Remember, you can always jump onto our website. You can catch up on our previous stories from The Garden Gurus by visiting thegardengurus.tv or head to our YouTube channel, uh, thegardengurus.tv, where you can actually watch uh, lots of stories from previous apps. Uh, and there's a lot of great content there. YouTube is a great source of information at times. And if you missed something from today's show, you can either watch it again on the, on, uh, uh, the Facebook page or alternatively, tune in as a um, as a podcast, and you can do that by visiting uh, something like um, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Audible, one of your preferred apps. But um, you'll find those three. You'll find our podcast on there, and it's a chance to sit back and listen to it when you want to. Do. I'm Trevor Cochran. Happy gardening, everybody! Thanks so much for joining us. I'll see you next Monday. Mm-hmm.